You're listening to the Future Composer Podcast, a show that empowers composers, musicians, and artists with knowledge. Now, here's your host, John Presley. Dominic Lewis is a British-born composer based in Los Angeles who has made his musical mark on dozens of blockbuster films. Working with some of Hollywood's top composers, he has written additional music for action movies like X-Men First Class and Captain America The Winter Soldier, along with animated hits like Wreck-It Ralph and Big Hero 6. Dominic continues to make waves with his own film and television scores, most recently as the composer for Money Monster, a film directed by Jodie Foster and starring George Clooney and Julia Roberts. He's a cellist, vocalist, composer, and I'm looking forward to learning more about his process. Dominic, welcome to the Future Composer Podcast. Well, thanks for having me. What an intro. Thank you. <laughs> okay, so I'd like to start off with you painting a picture for us. Walk us through a perfect day of composing music where everything goes right. You get to do exactly what you want. What does that day look like for you? Wow. I guess if I was honest, I probably haven't had that day. But the closest to that day... Yeah, just get, getting into the studio. I live two blocks from the studio, so uh, I'd probably walk. Nice day in L.A. I'd walk with the dogs. I'd get to the studio around 10 o'clock, open up a sequence ready to, to tackle the, the, the queue. And uh, sometimes it just happens. Sometimes you're just going through. If I've already got my themes together, and I already know where I'm going with it. And, you know, you just I start mucking around to picture, and it's just working. It's very rare, but sometimes that happens. And then, you know, you have my map straight away and I flush it out and I'm done. That would be ideal. It certainly doesn't happen like that every day. Um, And it becomes more of a grind. But sometimes if I get lucky, it just happens. And then obviously the next step is, you know, thinking what you've done is great. But sometimes the director or producer will disagree with you. So (laughs) you have to start again anyway. But in terms of my side of things, it's really great when, you have your themes together and you just sort of know what the scene needs to be and all the tempos magically fall into place. I don't know whether that's subconsciously because I know what I'm doing or just because I get lucky. Probably a combination of both, I would hope. Right. So a little bit later, we're going to touch on some of your background, but you know, for our audience, you are a cellist, you have some, some formal music training, but paint that picture for me when you're sitting down to write in the studio, your process. I mean, are you writing by hand? Are you writing on a piano? Are you writing on a by notation on the computer? Tell us what that process is like for you right now. Um, well, I very rarely write on the cello because it's been a long time since I had a full command of the instrument, <laughs> and uh, I tend to I tend to improvise and and use my ears more than I should when playing the cello. So um, my dad, being a cellist, wouldn't be that pleased with what you know <laughs> my sight reading is still terrible so um i write a lot with with the piano i never really had lessons as a pianist but i again used my ear to kind of train myself as a kid and and it was more of a way of being in bands and writing songs when i was you know me associated with the piano so but i also sing you know i use my I use my iPhone a lot. If I get an idea for a theme or or a motif or something, I'll just you know get my voice memos up, and I look like a crazy person walking down the street singing stuff into my iPhone, <laughs> so I don't forget it. So that's part of it. But mostly, it's um, these days. You know, computers are such a huge part of this job. You know, I have a template for various diff- 
very different templates for different films and TV projects, but you know, there's always an orchestra in there. And I, I you know, I use Keybase. I use Keybase um, and Pro Tools to house my my picture and to be my mixer. Uh, and everything's kind of in the box, really. And then very rarely I will, if I do use Shellac to compose, I will, you know, set up a soundscape, particularly with uh, Man in the High Castle. A lot of the times I'll, I'll just set up a, a cool kind of sound designy world that creates the vibe. And then on top of it, I'll just improvise, obviously knowing the themes and tunes that we already have and just, and go with it live to picture, which is kind of cool. And I don't do that very often, but it's nice when I get the opportunity to do that. So I got a chance to watch Money Monster. And for those listeners who haven't seen the movie, you can check out the score on Spotify and iTunes. It's mostly an electronic score, which kind of plays off of the high tech world of online stock trading there are some moments with some really lush string arrangements, kind of at those just those right times. Tell us what direction you were given for the score and what you did with that. Okay, from very early on, well, we didn't have that. I say very early on. I did it in about a month. But um, from the beginning of the process, Jody was very clear what she wanted. She wanted, obviously, an electronic score, something that's fresh and cool and modern, you know, as everyone does. But she wanted it to be homemade, and she wanted it to uh, not cross that line into the sweeping Hollywood saccharine version of what this score could have been. So you mentioned the string arrangements in moments to give the score feeling and to relate to the characters and their emotional journey. And that was very, it was probably the most difficult aspect of bringing the score together was to to not cross that line to have to get the emotion to get the feeling and you know to feel connected with these characters but at the same time not to become saccharine and cheesy and a bit schmaltzy so it was tough but it, of restraint was the way forward and creating emotion was um necessary but not to take it too far you know big sweeping melodies and big lush chords it, it just wasn't the way so we took a very uh, pop frame of mind when it came to the string involvement in the score. Because I think, you know, with the score being predominantly so electronic, um, anything more than what I did would have just sounded ridiculous. So getting the basis was, was big for me in dictating how far I could go with the emotion, if that makes sense. And it sounded to me like when those strings came in, those were real strings. That was a real orchestra and not samples. Is that correct? Yeah, they were. Yeah, yeah. Um, we uh, we recorded at uh, the bridge in LA. Um, it's a small, one of the smallest studios. Um, they do a lot of TV stuff there just because of the size of the room. It's very small. So, but I particularly wanted that. I wanted a small section. I didn't, you know, with Jody's vision, I didn't want to, you know, get tons and tons of string players in a room because it just would have been the wrong sound. It would have been too epic and too big. So, as I said, went with a very pop lineup. It was very small. I think it was, uh, I think at its biggest, it was 10 first violins, eight second violins, six violas, four cellos, three basses at its biggest. And we didn't really use, because it was that kind of pop, you know, chart music mentality. Um, we didn't really use the basses that much. So, yeah, we went small to get that closer, uh, more intimate sound so it didn't get all lush and sweeping. Um, and then towards the end, um, when certain things happen, I won't spoil it, but, um, the solo cello is, is me 
um, at the end, mainly because I wanted it not to sound like a traditional cello solo. And with me being a little bit rusty at my instrument, I could, I could, I could play it in a way that gave it. I could. It still had the emotion, and the feeling, but it had the grit and more of a relationship with the rest of the score, as opposed to becoming. I didn't want you to hear that solo and think of someone sitting in a black tie with the tux on, you know, in a in a concert hall. That wasn't the vibe. It was more gritty and a closer relationship with the electronic things that happened before it. Um, so I nominated myself to do that and I hope it was successful. That's great. <laughs> so let's talk about the electronic side of the score. You know, some of the tools, samples, plugins, synths. What do you can share from that? Well, after the initial conversation with Jody on the phone, uh, I had, I had a weekend to kind of get ideas together. So I had a very, cool experience on i did a movie called spooks the great good which is um an english film that probably not many people have seen in the u.s but anyway my process for that i adopted in basically gathering as many sounds from the world of which the film you know inherits which for spooks it was uh spy and and that kind of thriller and for Money Monster, it was stuff to do with the stock market and money and um, technology. So I gathered everything I could that I could think of, and not just to do with stock market, you know, anything to do with money and gambling. So there are dice and chips and, and there's, you know, stock market and computer beeps and bells and all kinds of stuff. And I just got it all together and just kind of started experimenting. So, you know, my usual my usual process is to try stuff in different octaves, reversing it. Um, I use on this film, I used a lot of sound toys phase mistress because there was a lot of finding a way of taking those sounds. For example, you know, there are, there are, um, there's a cash register that you'd never know was a cash register because what I did is I tuned it down an octave and then I used, um, I'm owning up here. I did use a preset on uh, on Phase Mistress. I think it's called Drum Resin. And it just had this really cool way of morphing the sound to keep it the shape and and what it was doing. But, you know, I didn't want to be too literal with sound. So you, you don't want to be sitting watching a movie and suddenly you're hearing cast registers going off every third beat. So... This this particular preset, uh, drum resin from Phase Mistress uh, Sound Toys plugin, was great, and I you know I used it on a lot of stuff to just to to morph it and make it sound different. But you know I used a lot of sound toys. This kind of thing is delays are always your friend. I'm a big fan of Echo Boy Sound Toys again. I'm a big Sound Toys guy. I love all their stuff. What else did I do with stuff? So anyway, over this weekend I was experimenting. Um, coming up with uh, themes that weren't really melodies, they were more riffs. So in order to get the opening of the film over the credits and whatnot at the front, that sound that got used throughout the score is actually my Prophet 12. And I took a preset called Marimbatron, I believe, and just messed with that for hours until I got the right vibe pardon the pun and yeah so that that became like my riff 
my wrist tool was my Profit 12. So I could talk for days about all the the process. But um, a really great sound that I was really happy with was um, I took a Rhodes and I fed it through a bunch of stuff. It would be, you know, the the inserts were crazy on that particular instrument. But the main concept was Echo Boy. I love uh, this Waves plugin called King's Microphones. I don't know if you know that, Um, which is just basically a set of, of retro uh, presets, I think there are nine in total, of microphones used for the, the monarchy, I guess, from Edward to Elizabeth. So I love that. It's a really cool filter thing. So I used that and a, and a, and a rhythm uh, delay on this road, which became, I don't know if you remember the emotional stuff when um, George is talking to Jack O'Connell. Um, sorry, Lee's talking to Carl. Let's talk characters. Um, when he's left the gun on the desk and instead of choosing to pick it up, George says, you know, he points at the gun and says, you've left your gun or whatever. And I, you know, I don't want to kill you. I don't, I don't want you dead. So that emotional aspect actually came from the roads. Delayed out, you know, messed up roads with all the plugins I've been talking about, which Jody really liked. Um, a lot of the other pad stuff, um, I was very lucky that uh, last Christmas, Hans bought me a, one of the new uh, mini Rolands. He bought me a JP08, which became extremely useful on this movie. Um, it's, I was so surprised with it because you look at it and it doesn't look that impressive. But the sound, oh, it's, it's not analog, but it's um, it's got a great little noise. Um, and actually, more specifically, the noise on it, uh, the white noise on it and the pink noise on it is really, really useful for stuff like this. And then playing with that, I got into Bitcrush. So I don't know if you noticed, but lots of different things in this score of Bitcrush. And uh, just to give it that kind of distorted tech sound. So a lot of stuff went through Bitcrush. Not, you know, the mix was probably on like 2%, just to give it that little crackle. The consistent theme that I'm hearing from you is that on this score, and I'm sure other scores, you like to find your own sound and not necessarily rely on presets. Yeah, no, I mean, for, for presets, you know, I, I will use presets on, on, on plugins. I don't like using presets for actual sounds. You know, I won't go, I don't, I, I don't use Omnisphere. I make a point of not using Omnisphere and making things myself. You know, I tend, I use, for bass stuff, I, I use Trillion just because they sampled a lot of, analog synth which you know if i was a richer man i would buy them all myself but um yeah i make a point of not using sound presets i like to make stuff and i went through a phase last year of buying synth you know i have a juno and a profit and you know i just acquired an 808 which is cool and lots of little toys that i like to to use and you know going to those presets that everybody else uses because if you do that you're not going to find your own sound Let's talk about some of the top composers that you've worked alongside, from Hans Zimmer to John Powell to Henry Jackman and many others. We couldn't possibly list everything you've learned from them, but what are some overall lessons in life or in music that you've taken from them? Wow, there are so many. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, with all those guys you mentioned, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you because they're just. They're they're phenomenal talents, and you know I just whenever I'm around them, I try and become the biggest sponge I can be to absorb everything they say and you know all their tricks and everything they do. 
I think the main thing, you know, I've worked with Henry a lot in the last few years and he's been, you know, a, he's a great mentor, a great friend. And he, he, he was hard on me the first couple of years as that, you know, as Hans was in really instilling a discipline in writing and a sequencer and, you know, the importance of demos and to get that, to get ahead with your demo, which has been a big thing with remote control over the last, you know, however long, 15 years, the, the demos that come out of this place are second to none. They are amazing. And engineering as well. Henry's, you know, comes from that background. He worked with Trevor Horn for a long time. And um, before, you know, I worked my first movie with John, which was an amazing experience, How to Train Your Dragon. Um, you know, I, I was an orchestral guy. I came, I was classically trained. I knew, I knew engineering. I knew about, you know, modern pop, whatever you, hip hop, whatever it was, and I could cobble it together. Um, but my strong point was orchestral writing and orchestral chops. And then from being with Henry, he just, you know, he would knock it into me how important it was. And now, you know, three, four years down the line, I think I've just come on leaps and bounds of that stuff. And I'm actually confident in my mixing ability and my engineering ability. So that's the main thing I take from Henry. From hands, it's, you know, his hands, everything. You know, he's just absorbed. Um, but being in a meeting with that guy is just, it's incredible the way he commands the room and, you know, forget the fact that the man's a genius and he can come up and, and change, come up with amazing stuff and, and change the sound every few years. Just the way he, he interacts with filmmakers because he is one, you know, he, he instilled that in me from the start. You know, you're not just a composer, you're a film composer, which means that you're a filmmaker and you have to be part of the filmmaking process. It's not just about your music. It's not. So he taught me it's not about ego because, you know, after all, we all want our music to be heard. We all want it to be remembered. But it's more than that. It's bigger than that. And aside from many, many other things, I'd say that was the one thing I took from hand. I've, he's just been such a great mentor for me in this, in, you know, and, and given me so many opportunities. And it's always great to work with him. But one story in particular, which was just made me, you know, respect him even more is that I was doing the first season of Man in the High Castle and um, it had been tempted with this particular scene had been tempted with Interstellar. And um, I'd done my version, which wasn't Interstellar, and I was very happy with, and notes had come back saying that it needs to be more like the temp. Please just, you know, replicate the temp as best you can. And I was very strong... I didn't want to do that. I didn't, I think I thought that I, what I did was good. And, and, and despite that, we didn't, you know, I didn't want to be that guy that was ripping off hands. So I actually got up out my seat and I went over to see him and he was eating in, in, uh, in one of the buildings here by his studio. And I told him the situation and his response was, well, thank you so much for letting me know. But to be honest with you, you know, I wouldn't be, you know, I wouldn't give you, expletive for um for for ripping me off he said uh you're not the first and you certainly won't be the last so he was just so cool about it and um i saw him a couple months later and he said you know i've been telling people the story about you not wanting to copy and i'm you know i'm proud of you and blah 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 so that's a cool little uh cool little story about hands and just i have so much respect for that guy and then yeah you know the other guys i work with john is just the complete genius as well. I've been so lucky to be 
involved with these guys. John taught me so much on that first first outing of uh, how to train your dragon. And then we worked together on Kung Fu Panda 2 as well, and that was obviously Hans and John. And, you know, there were some sticky moments there. I remember uh, we couldn't get some stuff approved. <laughs> this is a good story. John was, had to head out um, for the Rio premiere in Rio. So, he, you know, he was leaving it up to, you know, Hans and, and the guys who were going to stay behind. And um, we, I just got all these notes on a queue, and um, he comes up to me, and it's John Wayne. He said, um, "You know, Dom, whatever, whatever, whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger." And I was like, "Okay, cool." And then, he, as he's walking out, he turns around and he goes, "The trick is not to die." See ya. <laughs> so uh, I will always remember that. Um, no, I mean all those guys. It's been so amazing, and I have to pinch myself regularly um, that I had a chance to work with them. And you know, they're now mentors that have become friends, and you know, I can actually talk to them about other stuff than you know, writing cues. And John and I play tennis regularly. Um, you know, it's just, it's just, it's amazing. It's uh, without sounding too cliche, it, it is a dream come true because this has always been my dream, and now I'm sitting in my own studio and talking to you about a movie I did with Jodie Foster, and it all seems very surreal. That's amazing because all of those names and those stories, those guys are titans of this industry and will be remembered all the time for their contributions. And it seems like you've picked off little bits and pieces from each of them, and that's going to take you a long way, I'm sure. Well, I hope so, yeah. I mean, that was the goal, just to pick every everything from everyone and try and palm it off as my own <laughs> So let's talk a little bit about your work as a vocalist. Tell me more about that. You've recorded vocal parts for other composers on some scores. Let's hear about that work and how you've refined that skill and, and what you like to do as a vocalist. Well, it's always been a love. I've, you know, I've, always, I've sung from a very early age. My mom's a singer um, and she taught me singing just as my dad taught me cello as a kid. So I've been very lucky to have been past those genes from my wonderful parents. But um, my first gig in LA actually was on I was doing actually doing Dragons with with John and I think Henry asked Rupert in the car park here if he knew any vocalists that could do a sort of Tom York thing and obviously Rupert being one of my mentors as well as a kid and teaching me a lot of what I know now he got me to do a lot of vocal stuff for him I was uh, I did some stuff on The Prisoner which was a TV remake that he did and just bits and pieces he'd just send me stuff and I'd, I'd do some singing for him but anyway so Rupert had mentioned to Henry that uh, I could do that and so I got a call from Henry and I came in and I did some vocals for a, a big daddy cue on Kick-Ass 1 so that was kind of my first vocal thing for um a remote composer and then as I you know as I got given a room here and was writing and people found out that I could sing um, and that I could do lots of different styles I think on Clash I did a mock-up of there was a, a female vocal that was sorry Clash of the Titans there was something that needed to be a female vocal very uh, mysterious and in sort of a Lisa Gerrard way that I mocked up for Ramin and people were like Wow, that's very high. <laughs> How do you do that? And it just went from there, really. And word of mouth is great. And uh, Henry Henry used me as the voice for the Winter Soldier, which was cool. We did a night session on that. And then, obviously, he took it and 
it morphed it with various plugins and lots of different stuff. But essentially, the raw audio is me. I did, what have I done? I've done, I was the voice of Electro for Spider-Man 2. I was the voices in his head and I did all that stuff, which I thought was very strange where they got me to be the voice of Jamie Foxx, but it worked. And then I did some stuff, I think was inspired by the, the Winter Soldier stuff for Batman versus Superman. I did some stuff on that too. So I like to just do different things. You know, I, I'm doing a movie right now that's, very closely, the, the score is very closely related to chart music and you know hip hop and 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 pop and all that kind of stuff. So I'm getting to do some vocals on that and just I like just doing different stuff. I don't, I wouldn't actually at this point I don't really know what my natural voice is because I mold it into so many different things. From you know I've done last year I did Kevin from work and I was doing a huge impression and. You know, I've done like female vocals and choir stuff and, you know, Lisa Gerrard alikes and uh, I don't know, like Led Zeppelin stuff, everything. I, I'll, I'll take a crack at everything. I've got stuff I'm better at, but I love singing. I sing pretty much all the time, making up songs and stuff with all my co-workers here. And I'm sure I annoy many people, but I do. I, I never stop singing. <laughs> the only thing left is for you to break out as a solo artist, right? That's what's next. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, saying that, I do. Um, when I'm not working, I do. Um, I do little EP stuff. Um, last year it was I just got my Juno, so I did a lot of electro pop stuff, which I sing on. Because um, I sang in a lot of bands when I was, like I say, a kid. When I was a teenager, and at Royal Academy as well, I had a ten-piece band, which was cool. But I still like writing songs, and I still do that stuff. I just uh, most recently wrote a song for my my nan passed away uh, in January, so I wrote like a Brian Wilson the type uh, surfs up type song for her funeral. So I mean, I just yeah, I love singing, I love harmonies, I love all that stuff. So it's a great, it's another way of doing music without you know the stress of composing <laughs> and all that stuff. So as we kind of get down to the end here, I want to touch on a couple of things. One of them is your habits and your routines, especially at being able to compose at this high of a level where there's big budgets on the line, there's high profile directors calling you, you've got a lot of pressure on you to deliver something great. So tell me what kind of habits and routines you've developed to become a better artist in general. Wow, that's a good question. I think for me, rather than habit, it, it, if I have... Well, it is habit-based. If I have too much time, I tend to utilize bad habits. And by that, I mean, you know, overthinking stuff and trying to make things too perfect. And a lot of the time when I do that, and especially as an additional composer, it would get me into trouble with people trying to make, spending too much time on something and trying to make it the best. And you know that it has, you know, it's a big scene in a movie and it has to be the best thing. And people can go, oh, wow, I love this cue. That mentality for me often ends in disaster because I, I overthink it and I go down rabbit holes and it, it turns into a mess. So for me, I like to have the habit of not having much time. I mean, with Money Monster, I would have liked a little bit more time just so I could have slept. But it, what it did do is it forced me not to overthink things and go with my gut. Um, and I think... I've learned that going with my gut and not overthinking and not second guessing myself is a stronger way to create music and to be more original. 
because otherwise you get all these worms in your head and you, you just go down a path that's not good. Um, but habit-wise, I like to... I was a morning guy, and now I've... I, I started out as a night guy, and now a, then I was a morning guy, and now I'm back to like working into the wee small hours, which I tend to be most creative, but it changes. Um, we had a baby last year, so maybe it's because of that, trying to get as much sleep as possible. Well, sleep is definitely a good thing, and I think you give a lot of good advice. No matter what type of art you're creating, no matter what type of work you're doing, we can all get stuck going down rabbit holes that really aren't necessary. So I think there's a lot to take from that. I think, you know, it's, with sin stuff, it's, that can take longer. But oftentimes, if I'm really struggling with something and I really can't get anything, the best way to do it is to go back to, you know, go back to playing an instrument. Go back to something that you know, you know whether it's sitting down with a cello or picking up a guitar and just figuring it out that way because we get with computers we get so deep in a way of writing that sometimes and this is very true when writing themes and and starting a process sometimes you get bogged down with the engineering and, and the production and the cool side of things and you're constantly trying to come up with something new and in actual fact you don't have the notes you don't have the material in which to create whatever you're trying to create so i often like to just leave the computer side of things and whether it's at home writing on the piano and coming up with the strong idea that in its most primitive form is on a piano it's notes but it's hooky so it's going to work if you put it on a cool synth or sitting at the cello or just humming something and something that works like that and just remembering how we used to write music even if it's you know just sitting with a piece of paper and a pencil and just going okay well that works let me think out a voicing for that chord because a lot of the time you get into speaking of habits, you get into bad habits because, you know, you think in the realm of a keyboard and that's not how instruments work. And it's, and that was another great thing that, you know, all these guys I've worked with in, in the past have, have, have taught me is that, yes, you have a keyboard in front of you and yes, it's very easy to make things sound good. But when it gets to the stage, you're going to get found out because that voicing should be, you know, it should be trombones interlocking with horns as opposed to you just playing a, a horn sample and it sounds good. So that's been really, really important for me is just remembering what, and not not so much with Money Monster because it was very electronic, so it doesn't really apply there. But when doing animation and doing stuff that is so dependent on the orchestra, Freebird, for example, it was so important for me to go through everything I'd done and get rid of the bad habits and remember, you know, what I learned in college and all those orchestration lessons with my orchestration teacher going, no, no, that's going to sound rubbish. You should do this. It's important to remember that when you're so stuck in a computer the whole time and it's very easy with these amazing samples that everybody uses now, especially, you know, being in, in the hands camp and having access to all these great things. Remember what it's like when people are in a room sitting there and the click starts and then they have to blow into an instrument and make it sound good because, you know, if you're writing stuff that's not in the realm of an instrument, you're going to get found out very quick. Well, Dominic, I want to thank you for taking some time to talk with us today. I know you've given us some great insight into your world and you've learned so much from these great composers that you've worked with and you're just applying that to your career and we're just beginning to see what's going to happen with that because I know you're going to have a lot more success in the future and we definitely look forward to hearing that. Well, thank you. Thanks so much for having me. It's always good to chat about this stuff because you know you spend your whole time doing the project and then it's gone. So it's nice to nice to relive it and get to talk to you and you know a few little tricks I hope that have been useful to people.
Definitely. So uh, we'll look forward to talking again soon. Thank you. Cool. Thank you. You've been listening to the Future Composer Podcast. For more podcast episodes and in-depth articles, visit futurecomposer.com. To learn more about our host, visit johnpresleymusic.com. 